Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Trapcast. My name is Amanda Reyes, and this is part of the Made for TV Mayhem show. This is going to be a series of minisodes where I talk about nothing but Trapper John MD. And I know that sounds horrifying, but I think it's going to be really fun. I actually do. I know some of you are thinking, Trapper John? Pourquoi? Yeah, I am too. So there are so many shows that I'd love to talk about. Magnum P.I., as many of you know, is my all-time favorite show, aside from One Life to Live. Those are both shows that I think would be great to do podcasts on, but I think somebody can do Magnum P.I. better service than me, because there's some real uber fans out there that know everything. Um, And One Life to Live, that's going to happen at some point. I've got something in mind. But for now, I'm just going to talk about Trapper John and... I kind of want to tell you how I got to this point because I think it's important to give it a little context. So a few years ago when I first started my blog, actually many years ago now, um, Richard Harlan Smith, who you may know from Video Watchdog and or his DVD Blu-ray commentaries and or when he used to write for Movie Morlocks, which was a blog that was run by Turner Classic Movies, um, he actually promoted my blog for me once. He wrote this really lovely piece about it. And one thing he said that really struck me and something I hadn't even considered about myself at that point was that he said lots of people like to talk about high art and lots of people like to talk about low art, but very few people want to talk about the middle. So as you know, TV movies kind of fall in the middle. They're made for mass consumption. They're they're sort of made to be seen and forgotten about. They, we think. They're not really. We know that they're wonderful. But, you know, the networks were like, this will air once, whatever. So Trapper John is one of those shows that I think falls in this gray middle area that I'm so fascinated by. And that's really interesting to me because, you know, Trapper John ran from like 1979 to 1986. And through most of its run, it was a top 30 show. And at least in the first couple of years that it ran, it was a top 20 show. And yet nobody really talks about it. It's never had a Blu-ray or DVD release. It has had some reruns, but very little really when you think about it. And it's a show that didn't set out to really change the world, but in its own way, it changed the world. And we'll talk about that when we get to those episodes. It had a couple of really groundbreaking episodes. But um, when I was thinking about shows to do, it's so interesting because, okay, as you probably know, Trapper John was an hour-long drama. It's a light drama um, that was spun off, quote-unquote spun off, of MASH, taking the character of Trapper John, then played by Wayne Rogers, and moving him about 30 years into the future where he worked at a hospital in San Francisco, then played by Prunell Roberts. It was like Lou Grant, right? So Lou Grant came from a half-hour sitcom, and then it went into what I would call a drama without quotes, um, and very political and interesting, and much more layered, actually, than Trapper John. And I love both shows. I have every episode of both shows. I watch both shows whenever I can. But for some reason, I feel like Trapper John is the one that sort of people might want to, not want to, but tend to forget about. And maybe it's important for me to talk about why it's good, the cultural context of it, what it did that was groundbreaking, what it did that was just wonderful. And one of the things that comes to mind, actually, is in general, I think medical shows are really interesting, especially back in the 80s and prior to that, when it wasn't so much about being accurate to the medicine itself, but being accurate to the human drama of it, right? And so Trapper John does a lot of goofy things in it. I'm going to play a soundbite in here where um, they kind of just throw out a term that's not really medical and they just hope you buy it. And there's other terms like that that I'll, I'll point out as we go along this show. It did something really interesting to me, and maybe I'm drawn to it more now, because it's about 
finding comfort in the uncomfortable, right? So um, first of all, it's about benevolent doctors who save lives, right? They do anything they can. They're so compassionate and they're so passionate about what they do that they, it doesn't matter what's going on with you. They're going to try to find a way to help you, right? And they'll break the rules and, and you know what I mean? And they, they cross boundaries and they do all this. But at the same time, not every person that checked into this hospital on Trapper John lived to tell the tale. And yet there's still a comfort in the show. And so I think in a way, it's just the fact that it's dealing with death and life-threatening illnesses. And in the tone it takes, even though I think sometimes it can be a little off-centered, and we'll talk about that, it's sort of allowing us, the viewer, to also sort of be comfortable in a way, if I can be so metaphorical, but walking with death in a way. And so Trapper John's doing something really interesting by keeping the tone light, not like Scrubs funny light, but light in that there's drama there. But at the same time, there's always like this sort of sweet ending, even when it's sad. There's one episode in mind that I can't wait to talk about that's going to come up here. I don't know when, but it's one I remember specifically having that let's face death, but it's okay kind of feeling. And so Trapper John did that in a way that I don't know that a lot of other shows really did. There's like 151 episodes of the show, guys. And I'm going to, excite from this one, where I'm just going to talk about the pilot and it's going to run a little longer than the rest of the shows. Um, I'm going to do two episodes each per my episode. So two episodes of Trapper John in every episode of Trapcast. So that's 70 something episodes I'm going to do. So I'm really committing myself to this. And the mm, the complexity of it is that most episodes are like the episode before it. They're really not that different, you know? And so it's not like there's going to be, in terms of story, a lot for me to talk about. I will talk about the stories, but it's really going to be about the people who populated the hospital, the main characters who were on every week, the cultural context, um, what it ran against, um, and things like that. And some background on the show. I have a couple of interviews and some of my TV guides I'll have to dig out with Pernell Roberts and Charles Siebert has done interviews and Gregory Harrison has talked about things. And we'll talk about their TV show right? And we will talk about things around the TV shows. Like Prinell Roberts did a really interesting TV movie that I'll probably bring up at some point. And Charles Siebert did a couple of them. And Gregor Harrison did one. He did several, I'm sorry, but one that I've already discussed at length on the regular podcast. And that's for ladies only. It's going to really be not necessarily about the show itself, but about things around the show. And I think it's going to be really interesting, at least for me to talk about. And I'm hoping that you guys will want to listen to it. I'm open to suggestions. I'll have an email at the end to give you. And I'm going to have, uh, you know, a little mail jingle hopefully at some point because I'm hoping to get some feedback and I'm hoping you guys participate. And I'm hoping that some of you remember Trapper John and maybe remember it a little lovingly. And so even if you don't remember the episodes per se, it'd be great if you could talk about them to me, talk about the characters. If you want to talk about Dr. Riverside, I am here for you. I am here for you because Dr. Riverside is one of my all-time favorite characters. And we will talk about that at length. Before we get into the pilot proper, I wanted to give a little background on the state of CBS and where Trapper John originally aired and how it ranked. 
1979-1980 season of television was kind of a watershed moment for CBS, who, along with NBC, had really struggled to win ratings against ABC, which I called the juggernaut because it was so huge back then. Actually, during the 1978-1979 TV season, ABC had seven of the top ten shows on the air. Uh, most of them aired on Tuesday night. Those were Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, The Ropers, which surprised me, and Taxi. They also had two other big shows, which were Angie with Donna Pescow and Mork and Mindy, and those ran on another night and obviously were extremely popular, and that made ABC just this huge powerhouse. Um, you know, just briefly, I was really surprised to see Angie was such a highly ranked show. I don't think it ran more than two seasons, and I honestly thought I was the only one who watched it. So, hey, long live Robert Hayes, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, CBS put together a pretty strange lineup uh, for the 1979-1980 season as a way to compete. Um, I'm not really sure where this came from, and I'm just going to mention some of the shows that premiered in 1979, and maybe I'll touch on some of the mid-season replacement shows when we get to the Trapper Johns that aired at the beginning of 1980. But for now, let me just tell you about a couple of these. So there was something called Big Seamus, Little Seamus, which was a detective drama with Brian Dennehy and Doug McKeon, and only had nine episodes. Something called Paris, which sounds amazing. It was a crime drama that was created by Stephen Bochco, and it starred James Earl Jones. There were only 13 episodes, two of which still remain unaired. California Dream was a teen drama with Jimmy McNichol about growing up in Los Angeles, only 10 episodes. There was a sitcom um, called Last Resort, which is about college students working in a kitchen, 15 episodes. Uh, and then there was something called Struck by Lightning, which starred Jeffrey Kramer and Jack Elam. Jack Elam played Frankenstein. It was a really strange little show. It only had three episodes. And then there was something called Young Maverick, which was, of course, the sequel to Maverick with James Garner. This one starred Charles Frank and only had eight episodes. And another show that premiered on CBS this season was House Calls with Rain Rogers, of course, who played Trapper John on the MASH series, and Lynn Redgrave uh, was his co-star. This was a really popular show, but it had a crazy tumultuous history, and I might touch on some things as we go along just because it's kind of a fascinating series. Um, I'm only mentioning it now because, of course, Wayne Rogers had left Trapper back on MASH, but then went to another medical comedy show. And um, I think it's interesting that it also debuted the same season as Trapper John M.D. I remember watching House Calls quite a bit. Um, I don't remember thinking I loved it, but I watched it. Uh, I think it was probably a little too sophisticated for me at the time. It might be too sophisticated for me now. I'm just going to let you know. And I saw this article, it was a trade article titled Programming CBS Looking for Those Turnaround Shows for Fall, and they actually listed Wayne Rogers as the star of the new Trapper John show. So I'm not actually sure if it was offered to him at some point. Um, I'm hoping as we go along I can uncover more information about that. But let's just get back to the Nielsen's because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so as it turns out, it ended up being the old warhorses of CBS that managed to climb to the top of the ratings in the 1979-1980 season. Although there were some newest shows in the top 10, nah, sort of. Um, the 1979-1980 season uh, went like this. The number one show of the season was 60 Minutes, which was a CBS show, very old show, always historically popular. It had a 28.4 rating. So the rating, all that means is 28.4 million homes with televisions were watching 60 Minutes on the night it originally aired. Um, I think that translates into like a 40 million person, maybe more audience, not sure. Then there was Three's Company, which was number two, uh, an ABC show obviously with a 26.3 rating that's incredible which was another abc show uh had a 25.8 rating number three alice came in at number four that was a cbs show with a 25.3 rating that show had actually debuted in 1976 the number five show was MASH. Uh, that obviously had been airing for a while. It started in 1972. I think it was always a top 10 show. That got a 25.3 rating. 
Number six was Dallas, another CBS show which had premiered in 1978. I think it's a mid-season replacement. I should know that. Uh, with a 25.0 rating. Number seven was Flow with a 24.4. Another CBS show, a spinoff of Alice, if you remember. But that didn't actually premiere till 1980. So the fact that it ended up in the top ten is really amazing. That was another short-lived show, so I don't know what was going on there. Number eight was The Jeffersons, which had debuted in 1975. It was a spinoff of All in the Family. That came in with a 24.3 rating. Number nine was The Dukes of Hazard, another CBS show that began airing in January of 79. That got a 24.1 rating. And number 10 was One Day at a Time, another CBS show with a 23.0 rating that had already been on the air for several seasons. It made its debut in 1975. Trapper John only added to the network's success when it started airing at 10 p.m. on Sundays on September 23, 1979. Three weeks from today in this time period, get set for Dr. Gonzo Gates and the legendary Trapper John M.D. Do you want to assist? Do you trust me? You're nice and comfortable to have around. 28 years after Korea, Trapper is a chief of surgery in San Francisco. With Vietnam MASH medic Gonzo Gates, they'll do anything to save a life. If she bleeds much more, I'm going in anyway. Together, they're unbeatable. Trapper John M.D. premiering Sunday, September 23rd. They're definitely looking good. Trapper John had a really strong lineup that it followed. That included Archie Bunker's Place, which was another top 30 rated show, and then three top 10 rated shows, One Day at a Time, Alice, and The Jeffersons. Let me tell you what it ran against. On ABC was the Sunday Night Movie, which was another top 30 rated program. And on NBC was something called Primetime Sunday with Tom Schneider, which was a quote unquote live news program. And I only put quotes around live because I think it depended on your time zone, on how live it was. Um, Tom Schneider was very popular in this era. The introduction of a very familiar character in new surroundings and in a new format, it just proved to be incredibly successful. Uh, Trapper John ended up being a top 30 rated series for every season it was on the air, and it was in the top 20 for the first four seasons. Uh, its first season rating was a 21.2. Really good. It's very close to the number 10 show there. However, it wasn't unprecedented to create a spin-off series that took on a different format. Lou Grant had premiered on CBS in 1977. Now, that didn't garner great ratings at first, but it came with a lot of cred. It was way more overtly political, um, and I might have mentioned that before, but I think Trapper John was doing similar work, just kind of on the down low, and we will discuss a lot of that as the series goes along. Trapper John also endured a court case. Now, I just copied and pasted what I'm about to read from Wikipedia because it's a little complicated, and I'm, I'm not confident that I could get all the details right. So let me just tell you about the case based off of Wikipedia. Um, so this was called Premature versus 20th Century Fox Film Corp. This was filed in a New York court. Um, in the suit, claimant Ingo Preminger, the original producer of the 1970 film, claimed that under his deal with 20th Century Fox, his production company had both the right of first refusal to produce any spinoff of the movie and the right to fees from the use of the book and film's material. So the New York State Supreme Court Justice Martin Stetcher, excuse me, found in part for Preminger, saying that his agreement with Fox did not give him the right of first refusal to produce Trapper John M.T., but it did give him the right to participate in profits from the show. Stetcher awarded Preminger a 25 percent share in the show's profits. That's a huge amount of money because of a loophole, but I think it seems fair um, just reading that basic paragraph. Uh, I will say, though, 
Trapper John actually has a lot more in common with Medical Center than it ever did with MASH. So just a little brief thing about Medical Center here. That show was created by Frank Lixman, who also created Trapper John MD, and it was done through Don Brinkley Productions, who also produced Medical Center. So um, I'm going to talk about Medical Center a little bit as we go along, and I'm actually going to talk about the pilot a little bit after I talk about the pilot of Trapper John, just so you can get a general idea of how the shows were similar. For now, though, I want to talk a little bit about Pernell Roberts. Um, now, we're going to be talking obviously a lot about the actors on this show and um, I don't want to talk about all of the stars right at once because I have 151 episodes I have to talk about but Pernell Roberts obviously needs some sort of background uh, he's really enigmatic he didn't necessarily do a lot of interviews although he did do them from time to time he was often considered aloof by castmates through the years but he also was really incredibly idealistic and what little I've been able to find out about him so far, I have to tell you, he's really fascinating. So I'm kind of looking forward to learning more about him. I'm just going to start here, though. Uh, just, just a brief, basic bio on him. Pernell Roberts was born in Georgia in 1928. He was a musician who served in the Marines and eventually played with the Marine Corps Band. But after service, he studied acting, moving to New York in the early 1950s. He was Shakespearean trained. He appeared in things like The Twelfth Night and Romeo and Juliet. He was nominated for a Death Drama Award for his performance as Macbeth in 1956. I think he won that award. He eventually moved to Los Angeles and began working in films and television, landing the role of Adam Cartwright on Bonanza in 1959. So you probably know Bonanza was huge. It ran for 14 seasons, uh, but Roberts only stayed for the first six. His training as an actor and his work in theater, I think he seemed to kind of poo-poo television, which, you know, no judgment, but not cool. But Lauren Green had actually tried to talk to Purnell um, about staying on the series. I remember reading an interview where Lauren Green was like, look, Purnell, you're going to make so much money if you can just hang on just a little bit. But Purnell was determined to leave. He felt the show lacked social relevance. And I think when I think about that in the context of Trapper John, it makes sense that he would want to do a series like that. However, I was surprised to find out that Purnell actually attributed his decision to do another weekly series to his aging father who needed expensive care. And I'm only bringing that up because I think it's important to know that this was not a labor of love for him. Um, but I do think he's really great in the series. I think he has a great rapport with the actors. I think he's a pretty perfect choice. I really fell in love with him on this show. He's acerbic, but he's kind. Um, I think he's very much in tone with the original MASH character with a couple of exceptions. For one, they dropped that part about him cheating on his wife all the time. So he has an ex-wife on this series, but that's never referenced that any of that ever happened. I'm only bringing that up because I see this version of Trap the same way I see the introduction of Charles Emerson Winchester III on MASH in that, I mean, he was sort of a compromise to Frank Burns. Frank Burns was a character who could not be redeemed. I think he got written into a corner and they just had to get rid of him. Um, but Winchester, he was flexible, you know, and I think that they wanted to do something similar with Trapper in that they depicted him in the series as a way to fit in sort of this idea of what a benevolent doctor character who is leading a series would be. Um, excuse me. They gave all the sex star stuff to Gonzo, which, you know, hey, I'm into it. I also feel Dr. Riverside, who's played by Charles Siebert, is a sort of a cross between Winchester and Burns, too, at least in the beginning. And we'll definitely discuss him as we go along, since I think both Dr. Riverside and Charles Siebert are great. And I think that actually Dr. Riverside has been given one of the more uh, interesting story arcs and has been given the most character development as the series ran along. Uh, almost as much. We'll also talk about Nurse Brancusi as we go along. <laughs>
that episode begins with a bang, literally. There's some kind of major explosion at a hotel, uh, and using really crazy intense stock footage, we see a large building burning and several helicopters circling. Then we cut to an office, guys, and we hear helicopters overhead. And as the camera pans across a series of photos, we see they're all from the MASH 407 7th unit. There's actually a pic of Hawkeye and Trapper John, and it's a pic of the actual actor. So here we get a cameo of Wayne Rogers, our original Trapper, which I think is great. Then we see a man sleeping on a couch. He's mumbling things about Korea and Hawkeye, and then he's awakened by a nurse who goes by the nickname of Starch. Starch was played by Mary McCarty. Um, she claims to have worked with Trapper in Korea, although... I don't remember her, and you probably don't remember her either. And she mentions Korea like 3,000 times, just in case we forgot what Trapper John was a spinoff of, um, I guess. Let's go, let's go, Trapper. On the double. Up, up, up. Wake up, Trapper. The choppers are dumping casualties all over it. Oh, chopper. Oh, Hawkeye? Radar. Radar, where's Hawkeye? Hey, that's almost 30 years ago. This isn't Korea, it's San Francisco. Then we are introduced to Gonzo, played by Gregory Harrison. This was his breakout role. He's already so good in these opening scenes. He's really likable. He's fun. He's handsome. He is charismatic. Anyway, the hospital is overrun with patients, and there's this nurse named Ripples who's trying to get into the action. Christopher Norris plays Nurse Brancusi, also known as Ripples, and I hate her nickname. It's been given to her because she's got this amazing figure, and no one can seem to concentrate when she's in the room. Uh, she hates it, and I hate it too. Uh, luckily, that nickname will fall by the wayside pretty early on in the series run. Anyway, one of the patients is a famous televangelist named Reverend Barnaby Box, played by the great Roddy McDowell. Um, he's not really injured at all, but Dr. Riverside, as I mentioned earlier, played by Charles Siebert, is obviously starstruck and sees to him first, almost at the expense of some truly injured patients. So uh, Riverside comes across as a little smarmy here, and um, like Brancusi, he's going to get some retooling, which works really well for the actor and allows Siebert to exercise his wonderful comic timing. By the way, I love Charles Siebert. You're going to hear that a lot. Uh, so Gonzo, even though he's not employed at the hospital, steps in uh, and helps Brancusi perform a tracheotomy. So the fact that they have an unemployed doctor performing tracheotomies in the emergency room comes to the attention of both Trapper and Riverside. Now, I believe Riverside is the chief of emergency services, so it's his job anyway to know what's going on. And um, Trapper ends up just hiring him and hoping Riverside doesn't notice, although Riverside already conniving, already showing that he wants to move up in the ranks. He tries to use the original mistake to his favor, um, definitely trying to discredit Trapper. Uh, but he, he easily relents, which is something that happens a lot in the show. And this is thanks to one of the first examples of reverse psychology that happens throughout the show. Hi, John. Hello, my name is Stanley. Yvonne Reed. Mm -hmm. Oh, this? No, this is, this is nothing. Nothing at all. Well, then you may want some facts to make it something. This unqualified physician is George Alonzo Gates. He spent three years as a surgeon in Vietnam, and he completed a full residency in emergency medicine. How does that grab you? Really? That's, that's interesting, John. Um... But if he's not on staff here... But he is. I hired him myself this morning. That just might keep him out of legal trouble. Well, he kept you out of legal trouble. He performed a trach on a patient who was dying in your emergency section. If that patient had died, you would have been held responsible. So instead of persecuting that young man, you ought to be kissing his hemostat. John's right, Stanley. After all, a man's a veteran. Fighting for your country. And how do you thank him? With a lousy poison pen letter. What, this? <laughs> I 
was just horsing around. See, it's just a silly little gag. Uh, fellas, wait a minute, uh, you don't understand. I'm going to do my best to point out every time someone uses reverse psychology. It's a pretty ridiculous trope, but I think it really adds to the charm of the series. I also want to point out that Gonzo has a shower scene in the locker room pretty early on in this episode, and it's pretty iconic. It was seen in the opening credits. It's pretty amazing, I'll say that much. And uh, also the locker room scene is important because Gonzo shares a bond with Trapper because we find out he served in Vietnam. And the war is going to be a topic that comes up in another episode we're covering really soon. I think the war really plays a really important backdrop to both of these uh, characters, which is really great. So in the other story, there's this old man played by Jack Guilford who is gets checked into the hospital, but he refuses to give his real name. So we come to find out he's Irving R. Ziegler and he's hiding from his kids because they just love him so much. It's really not the strongest story I've ever seen on Trapper John, but it does work as a way for the writers to inject this idea that these doctors are going to go against the grain. And you know what? They're going to also disregard ethics. So let me just tell you, Ziegler has a super rare blood type and Barnaby Box is the only one in the hospital, apparently in the town, that has the same type. He's refusing to donate. Um, he's being really horrible about it. So Gonzo and the crew, not including Riverside, of course, drug... Barnaby Box, and then pretend that they are God, ordering him to donate blood. Yeah. I didn't make that up, guys. Who is it? You don't know who I am. Oh, my God. That's more like it. Barnaby Box. The life of a gentle old man means nothing to me. Therefore, the life of Barnaby Fox means nothing to me. Nothing at all. Oh, please. Ziegler is a nice old man. I... I want to live. Prove it, Barnaby Fox. Prove to me that your cheap, selfish, mercenary, hypocritical life has value because if you fail to do so... I will, I will, I, I swear, please, I'll do it! I swear, I'll do it! <laughs> So I'm just going to leave it there so I can discuss the overall tone of the pilot and how different it was from the rest of the series. For one, the humor here is more acerbic. I know I used that word before, but I think it works here too. And it's biting. There's a ton of great one-liners, uh, many of which I think would seem right at home with MASH. Uh, even the surgery scenes are similar. The way it's shot and that kind of humor and banter shared in the OR feels just like watching Hawkeye and his buddies over in Korea. This is not a general. Of course not. It's triple O. He's an old man. His tissues are too delicate for your usual rope. Starch, how long you been working for me? About 30 years. 28. Ever since Korea. And if you fire me, I'll tell a whole world about you and that Korean manicurist. <laughs> Problem, Sean. His pulse is 120 and thready. Pressure's down to 82 over 50. Well, how come you're giving him plasma? I ordered blood. He's B negative. What we had in the bank is incompatible. We used all the good stuff on the triple bypass the other day. Take some from the bypass. Too late. The bypass is dead. What do you mean dead? The bypass was a complete success. Right. When he got home, his wife shot him. It's one of those marriages.
Now that's all well and good, but the part about drugging someone and playing a trick on them so you can draw their blood, it doesn't work if you're not in war. There's no reason that the doctor should have done such a thing, but they did it anyway. I I have to shrug my shoulders at that. I can't figure out why. But I think this is why Trapper John didn't test well with audiences originally. It It's kind of mean-spirited in that way. And at the same time, I can see where Prinell Roberts was drawn to the show in terms of the dialogue and characters. But the tone, uh, the tone is not right for what they're trying to do here. That's all I can say about it. I will also say that it is also in the pilot that the series introduces his poetic license with science. He's having chills and flank pain. What'd you give him? 50 milligrams Benadryl, 25 Demerol. Now, I've never worked in a hospital, but it's my understanding that Benadryl is referred to, and excuse me if I get this wrong, but I think it's something like diphenhydramine. So from time to time, there's references to medicines that aren't exactly correct, and I'll point those out as we go along. There's a really hysterical one um, I can't wait to get to. I think it adds to the charm of the show, and I think it backs this idea I have that Trapper John isn't about factual medical storytelling. It's not about that at all. It's about the human drama, and it's in the human drama that the heart of the show lies. So while the sillier tropes remain, things changed very quickly by the second episode. The series has established a much kinder viewpoint and approach I'm not one to judge, but I think the more sincere approach might be considered sentimental by maybe new viewers, but I kind of prefer it. Also, Dr. Riverside needed to be more likable, and I'm really glad that they saw to that too. Did I mention that I love Charles Siebert? I love him. By the way, a couple of things that are introduced into the pilot that stay throughout most of the series um, are, of course, Gonzo's RV, which he called the Titanic. It's his love machine, and it's way bigger on the inside than it looks from the outside, which may be a double entendre that I don't understand yet. Anyway, I love the Titanic. It's great. And at the ending of this episode, we see Trapper sharing a glass of wine with Gonzo on top of the Titanic, um, which is just a lovely way to end the episode. And there are several episodes that end that way. Maybe all of them? I can't remember. They reminisce about what they learned in the episode, and they share this deep friendship based on their love of working towards a common good. I think it's really sweet. Um, I just really love the way uh, the series goes with their endings, and we will talk about that all the way through. So because we have so many episodes to go through, I'll talk more in depth about the regular cast as we go along. For now, I just want to talk about the director of the pilot, which is Jackie Cooper. And, you know, Cooper was a really famous as both an actor and a filmmaker. I remember he was in this fantastic Columbo titled Candidate for Crime. And I know he's more famous for his appearances in The Little Rascals and for playing Perry White in um, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. But I always think of him in that Columbo. He's hysterical to me. His performance is so good. He actually starred in the first uh, Superman the year before Trap. Trapper John aired, and he appeared in the Superman sequel the following year. But 79 was a crazy busy year for Cooper. He directed the pilot for that series Paris that I mentioned that was created by Stephen Bochco, and he did a few episodes of The White Shadow, and he did a TV movie called Sex and the Single Parent. He had also directed a handful of episodes of MASH, and he won an Emmy in 1972 for an episode he directed called Carry On Hawkeye. This was his only Trapper John episode, but I do wonder um, if he's the only director to work on both series. Um, I'm sure we'll find out as we go along. 
So having worked on MASH, I think we can see where some of the flavor of the pilot comes from, since it feels so much more aligned with that series um, than the rest of the episodes do. The pacing and delivery um, and the jokes are definitely in the realm of MASH here. talk a little bit about Medical Center's pilot just briefly just so we can kind of compare the two. It was called Operation Heartbeat. It was a TV movie and I'm just going to read you the synopsis from Alvin Merrill's Movies Made for Television. This is one super long run-on sentence so just bear with me. Okay. Edward G. Robinson's dignified performance as the aging surgeon whose heart transplant gets his protege slapped with a lawsuit after the donor's wife charges that her husband was allowed to die so that the young doctor could save the mentor, highlights this pilot movie for the popular Medical Center series. Now, that series ran from 1969 to 1976. Chad Everett assumed the part that was originated by Richard Bradford, who virtually disappeared after Everett's star ascended. Um, and Richard Bradford is in this pilot movie, just to clarify that. While James Daly and Audrey Totter continue as regulars. That's a lot of information in one paragraph. I've only seen a handful of Medical Center episodes, but I think I can already start to see the similarities here to Trapper John. Um, although I do think Medical Center took on a more somber tone. Um, but again, it's about the drama of the situation. And without being too spoilery, but a little spoilery, Edward G. Robinson's character does not make it. And I think it's important to note that because of what I said earlier about how these kinds of shows allowed us to deal with death and to understand that it happens and to still have a somewhat happy ending, if that makes sense. It, it really makes death almost less scary um, as part of a process, I guess. Uh, so, and we'll talk about that as we go along because there are very specific um, Trapper Johns that I think really deal with this uh kind of eloquently, actually. Uh, Medical Center would have some of its own groundbreaking episodes as well, and I'm hoping to sample some of those as we go along. I think everybody here is thinking the sex change episode from season seven with Robert Reed. I definitely want to make that part of this series because I think it needs to be discussed. back to Trapper John and the Critics. Howard Rosenberg of the Los Angeles Times said that the series had no point at all except to rip off the original series for profit. He called it quote-unquote inspired tripe. Variety was kinder. They said it had a closer kinship to Medical Center, which it does, and that the relationship between Trapper and Gonzo was very well developed. It had a difficult time moving from comedy to drama, and the side characters were stereotypes. I might agree about the stereotypes. Mostly I think of Brancusi and the way no male doctor can seem to be in the same room as her, it's annoying. It's annoying. Also, um, they really love to shove Korea down our throats. <laughs> down our throats. But overall, I do think the show got off to a really good start. So I'm really looking forward to revisiting the rest of the series. Of course, I'll be 105 years old when we get to the end. But please stick with me, guys. Next on Trapper Jock. We made it! Okay, so let me tell you what we're doing in the next episode. In the next Trap Cast, we'll be covering two episodes of the series. They are Flashback and Deadly Exposure. I'm really, really looking forward to talking about Flashback because 
it was already showing us where the series could introduce complicated and perhaps uncomfortable topics. And it also features an actor that I really love and I'm really looking forward to talking about him. So my email for the show is the same as uh, the email for the main show, as well as my social media. I plan to keep everything as connected as I can, but I'll do my best not to be too overwhelming with this. It's kind of a pet project to get me sort of comfortable with uh, podcasting by myself. So I hope if you listened, you have enjoyed. And let me just tell you where you can reach me if you would like to talk about the show. You can email me at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. The Twitter page is at tvmayhempodcast. Our Facebook is simply the Made for TV Mayhem show. And I have a new Instagram, which is just at Made for TV Mayhem. And you can visit the podcast main site at tvmayhempodcast.wordpress.com or you can visit my regular blog which is madefortvmayhem.com I'm sure I missed some things but we've got like 70 more episodes to talk about Dr. Riverside I mean the rest of the series and don't worry Jackpot, I haven't forgotten you Okay guys, thanks, bye (laughs) 